Sound of Hockey episode 80. We are calling this one Kevin Weeks episode. I actually didn't know that he wore number 80. Is that true? Did we actually just make that up? John has verified that. Okay. Well, so he played he played for seven <laughs> different teams over 11 years, uh, but he play, he wore 80 on four of those teams. So okay. he didn't exclusively wear 80, but wore 80 for sure. Wow. Confirmed. 80 episodes. That is, uh, that's something. We're, we're getting We've up had there, some guys. bonus ones too, right? Yeah. We've had some bonus ones in there too. Very true. Uh, I am Darren Brown at Darren Fun Brown on the Twitter, joined as always by Andy Ide. Hello, Andy. How's it going up at Andy Ide on the Twitter? And John Barr. Hello, John. Hello, everyone. I'm NHL2Seattle on Twitter. And we are coming to you from various socially distant locations across Seattle. At least six feet apart. Yes. Ab- well, that's. Definitely true. Uh, John is at Bardown Studios. I am at <laughs> Chateau d'Iran. And Andy, where are you today? I'm on my uh, quarantine couch. Okay. You're at the uh, practice facility lookout. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm taking that out. <laughs> uh, we do have a new review that we want to share. Skeptic Dan gives us a five-star review. Uh-oh. Thank you for that, oh, Skeptic Dan. No, oh. five-star review. It's very good. When you, get five, when you get five stars from a skeptic, that's yeah. saying a lot. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty solid. Good. That's, that's like, like a 10-star 10 10. review. It's a welcome relief. <laughs> These guys create a much-needed podcast at this time when the state of the world and some of the crummy behavior of owners toward their staff it's a welcome relief to hear about why we love the game. Interviews with peripheral parrots of the game, like Jason Berger, equipment manager, bring us behind the scenes in a refreshing way. They have their finger on the pulse of junior hockey, what's happening in Seattle, and the entire NHL, so it's a comprehensive view of the whole sport. Their chemistry, even with their producer, is great. They are accessible, fun, informative, <laughs> and their Foley work is amazing. Now, Foley work, I had to Google what that meant. That's like kind of like homemade sound effects i guess so uh, okay. um, so there uh, you go uh now chemistry homemade what does that mean chemistry with their producer um what do we think skeptic dan <laughs> means there because is he talking about wade maybe it's wade the intern which reminds yeah. me we haven't had like i've had no communication whatsoever with i was wade. just gonna ask that like when they talked about owners taking care of their staff i thought has anybody checked on wade we haven't even I, communicated I, with I, him since we've gone into self-isolation we have not even he's really he's once. really isolating himself i've checked with him a couple a little bit but okay. uh he's he's alive and well i don't he's not contributing is what he used to do but uh that's okay. We're, it's all about safety. Well, this is all over. We should think about continuing to self-socially distance from him. <laughs> He's going to hear this. <laughs> Poor Wade. Man. No, anyway, man, thank you, awesome. Skeptic Dan, for that great five-star review. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, we are going to start with a WHL update from our WHL correspondent, Andy Eide. Hello, Andy. Uh, what do you have for us on a WHL update? Well, there was a, well, there was the, the bad news was that the season got canceled, I think, since the last time we all talked. What? The, the playoffs. Thing. Yeah, all, all done. No, no Memorial Cup this year. But there was some other news that, that was not cancellation-related. Uh, Connor Bedard, for the first time ever, a WHL player will be granted exceptional status. Now, we talked about this a little bit last year with Matthew Savoy. He was not given exceptional status. But Connor Bedard will be. So he can play as a 15-year-old full-time next year in the WHL. So been, I believe, six others in the CHL. They've all been either in the OHL or the Q, like Jonathan Tavares is one who got it um, that comes to mind. But So Connor Bedard is a name to watch. Uh, I talked to some scouts who have seen him play. They said he's pretty damn good. He's uh, better than Savoy. And he let this last year at 15, 14 – was playing in an 18-year-old league, and he still put up like 80 points in 40 games. So wow. 
that's pretty impressive. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like he's the real deal. I mean, I've never seen him play, so I won't profess that. But just uh, what WHL scouts have told me who have seen him play, that he's pretty good. He's probably going to go first overall. Uh, the Regina Pats got the first pick uh, via trade. So it wasn't their pick. It was originally Swift Current's pick, and then it went to Lethbridge, and then the Regina uh, through trades. So be careful trading those first-round picks. You could miss out on an exceptional player. Man, that is crazy to think about. You know, you imagine the incredible players that have gone through the WHL. They've never granted this status to anyone. Nope. So, yeah. I mean, it, it does kind of make you think, like, man, I, I need to get out and see this kid play whenever he, uh, you know, whenever he rolls through Seattle or Everett because uh, it sounds like he's a pretty good player, apparently. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, fortunately for us, though, he won't be here next year because the, the U.S. teams are going to go out there to Regina. But then the following year after that, a 16-year-old, you'll see him. Okay, so mark your calendar. Yes. Savoy, where does he play again? Winnipeg. Winnipeg. So he's not coming out either, right? Or are they going to switch? Uh, no, because Winnipeg was here this year, but he wasn't right. with them. So. Yeah, so I'll have to wait a year on him too. Now, you could, if you really want to go see Bedard this year, I, I believe that he will go to Vancouver. So you could go up to Langley and see him. Uh, I don't. I don't need to see a 15-year-old player. (laughs) But just throwing it out there. And the other thing from the WHL, I know that they did their U.S. prospect draft. That was the first time they've done that, right? Yep. And we've talked a little bit before. There's an an initiative uh, uh, with the WHL to get more U.S.-born players in the league. And so this is part of that. We had the Challenge Cup in Kent in February, and this this draft was another part of that. So two-round draft, uh, so 44 players chosen. Uh, there were two Washington State guys picked. Uh, California, though, was the had the most, 18 players from California. Uh, Minnesota had 12, and then Texas with five. That was the top three. Um, but that Challenge Cup, you know, the, the hope was to expose those players and uh, to, the, to the league and have the league be able to see them. And so of those 44 players that were chosen, 20 of them played in that tournament. So mm. uh, so that seems like that's somewhat of a success. At least it got, the, got them on the radar maybe. Now, these guys are drafted. So the trick now is to recruit them to come play in the WHL. So we'll have to see how that – that might be the ultimate uh, test on how successful it was. But it was pretty interesting to see. It was, it was a fun process to watch. This whole discussion could really parlay really well with our guest. And so keep that in context about these U.S. players and their option to play in the WHL versus the other option, which is probably the USHL or prep school. But keep that in mind. Yes, and the guest is really, really great. So you're going to enjoy that. We'll get to it in a bit. But before we do, uh, John, I know that you have a quick Seattle update as well for uh, the NHL club here. Well, that's coming here. Yeah, just a quick bit of news. Um, it's it's not that interesting probably to a lot of people, but uh, with the kind of lockdown of the state of Washington uh, and the coronavirus issued by Jay Inslee, Governor Jay Inslee, uh, some construction projects are allowed to continue. And one of them is the, the arena down at Seattle Center. So that's good. Kind of the somewhat bad news, I guess, if I mean, other than everything being on lockdown. Other is than cons- literally everything is bad news right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, the Northgate facility is not continuing with their uh, construction. And if you want to kind of put some color on that, what that means, they're probably more at risk to, to miss their date um, because they're on a tighter timeline. They just started, right? We, we talked about the groundbreaking about a month ago. Now, the, the project probably isn't as complex as the arena, but with starting so much later, uh, that could be at risk at least for the training camp. And who knows for the start of the season in 2021, depending on how long this continues. And I'll also add, we have not heard anything from Palm Springs. They were supposed to have a groundbreaking... A little, little over a month ago, 
and the word around the campfire was that was still on track. There was just some last minute things that they needed to do, but we haven't heard anything. Mm. Um, and I don't know what construction is like down there, but that is probably another risk factor. Now there's mitigations for all these risks. So don't freak out about any of it other than probably the arena itself is probably the one that really can't slip. Yeah. I was worried about the arena because initially the governor's office was saying that that one didn't count as an essential project. But then a couple of days later, they clarified that because that roof has to be uh, reattached that they were allowed to move forward with the project. So yeah, it looked dicey there for a couple of days. It's really weird because there's construction going around my house right now. Um, Nobody's pausing there. So I don't know. I mean, it could be a a manpower, like a certain amount of people that make it, shut down there's something to do with housing in the in the declaration where if you're producing housing it's okay to continue but i i i'm guessing that's why that's being allowed to continue all right i'm not sure anyway i don't want to talk about it anymore let's Uh, talk hockey i'm happy that they're (laughs) moving forward with the building i hope that everyone working there is obviously staying safe and keeping distance from each other definitely um you know doing what needs to happen there uh, but yeah, I agree. Good news that they're continuing. Hopefully that means that the, everything with the team stays on track, even though this, you know, our world is on pause right now. Uh, but let's get to our interview. This might be one of my favorite interviews that, well, well not might be, it is one of my favorite interviews we've ever done, uh, with Ryan Hardy from the USHL's Chicago Steel. He's the, he's the general manager there and, uh, man, he is just, he's an electric factory. <laughs> Yeah, and I I've got to know Ryan quite a bit. Uh, this was a this was a treat. I could talk hockey with him forever. Really uh, enjoy it because it was it was a lot of fun. Especially for those of us who are, are you know, used to the WHL here, it's interesting to hear the USHL perspective. There's there's a lot of similarities from from what I got from this interview. Here it is, Ryan Hardy of the Chicago Steel. We now welcome on to Sound of Hockey, a very special guest. Feels like it's been a long time coming for getting this person on the show, and uh, we are pretty excited to have him on. He's the general manager of the USHL's Chicago Steel, Mr. Ryan Hardy. Ryan, welcome to Sound of Hockey. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, We're going to dive right into it with a pretty hard-hitting question here. Uh, I was monitoring your Twitter yesterday. Did you get in trouble? Uh, No, I wouldn't call it trouble. Um, (laughs) We have... uh, So with our league, they have a couple rules where you're not allowed to uh, announce your tryout camp dates or invite people uh, prior to the draft. Uh, So I thought I would try to circumvent that by uh, uh, building a list, which, you know, didn't violate. It apparently upset some people. So I had to uh, retract my request, but uh, my email was pretty full. So I, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you were you weren't really inviting people, but you were like inviting people to invite themselves. So, you know, I liked it. I thought it was creative. Um, but anyway, just thought that was interesting that 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 happened yesterday. So um, you've been you've been very active on Twitter. So that's been fun to watch during this uh, this time of self isolation. Uh, one other question for you here before we get into the real nitty gritty. When you were out at the Seattle Hockey Analytics Conference, uh, we had a an episode in which I was uh, slightly overserved from a trip to the Angry Beaver. Will you confirm or deny that you were responsible for me being overserved? No, I, I will not confirm or deny. I, I was uh, <laughs> trying to facilitate conversation among all of the <laughs> analytics conference participants so that I could learn uh, the most amount uh, that I could and, you know, what consenting adults did is certainly their business. I don't know that I'd hear anything. 
All I know is that every time I turned my head to the right and then turned it back to the middle, there was a new pitcher of beer in fr- like directly in front of me, and I feel like you were the one uh, that was putting them there. But anyway, uh, I digress. Let's talk about the USHL. Now, our listeners out here uh, in, in the Seattle area may not be super familiar with the USHL and how it works. Um, they do definitely know the WHL and the CHL pretty well, but we wanted to kind of ask you about what some of the kind of nuances are and differences between the Canadian Hockey League and what you would see in the in the USHL where you work. Yeah, I, I think there are some similarities in that the range of age of the player is the same, uh, you know, outside of your Bedard example from the other day, everyone is generally 16 to 21 years old. Um, and we all have, you know, overage restrictions and import restrictions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest difference would be that players in our league, um, the overwhelming majority of them will go on to play division one college hockey. Um, so where the Western hockey league or, you know, it's partners in the Ontario league or the Quebec league, um, you know, you lose that NCAA eligibility. Our league, um, you know, maintains that eligibility. Um, and then, you know, some other differences I think are like, In the Western Hockey League, for example, uh, you know, you have first round NHL draft picks that uh, don't make their NHL club and they're back in the league the following year. Whereas in our league, anytime we have a first, second round draft pick, we're almost always off to college, you know, the year after. So we're kind of a partner uh, with the NCAA. Um, You know, that's not to say that our play, we have some players that played professionally in Europe. We have some players that played major junior, um, you know, and came down. But the overwhelming majority of our players, um, you know, their goal is to play Division One college hockey. And then, you know, just like players in the Western Hockey League, they have a, uh, you know, a dream of playing the National Hockey League. So there's a lot of similarities. It's more similar than different. Um, but certainly, um, you know, the, the our guys maintain their NCAA eligibility. One rule that I happen to like is that the parents can veto trades, um, which is crazy here when you think, you know, a 16-year-old kid can be playing for Seattle. And he might be local to the area, and then they ship him off to Brandon. Uh, you know, and that to me is kind of a, this hidden benefit of probably playing in the USHL as far as the families go. Do you think that's an advantage you have over there? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that's an unbelievable rule. Like, I think if you commit, so our rule, the way it's written is uh, any player in high school, um, his parents uh, essentially, like you said, are able to veto a trade. So, a high school player has a built-in no-trade clause, and then, you know, if the player doesn't like his situation there, certainly they can request a trade like anywhere else. Generally speaking, work to accommodate that. Um, so, yeah, that that is a thing. I, I think that, you know, whether it's the Western League or our league, you know, junior hockey is a business, and it's very difficult at times to operate a business uh, where your product is young people that are in a very formative uh, time of their life, and, and academics are obviously a big part of what they're doing. So I think that a great rule, uh, you know, that our league has. And, and uh, you know, it kind of puts people at ease. You know, okay, I'm sending my son here for a year and, and I know where he's going to be. And when, when those trades come up, do you do you have to go to the parents first or how does that work? Do you say, hey, we're thinking of trading your kid or we, or we have a trade? What do you guys think of it? Yeah, so I can only speak for our organization. Mm-hmm. I believe that if I meet with a family in the summer of a high school player and offer that player a spot and our team, I won't trade him. I'll ne- even if a team, uh, you know, inquires about him and wants to throw that player in the deal. Uh, I've never gone to a, a high school parent and asked for permission to uh, to move their son. I just don't think it's right. I think that's part of all our due diligence in the summer is to make sure that 
the talent level and the character of that young man uh, fits, you know, what we're trying to do. And and I uh, I think that, you know, our team prides itself on having a lot of young players. And I think mm-hmm. travels fast, right? So if you are uh, making commitments and not honoring them, I think, uh, you know, the, the damage to your brand, uh, you know, kind of happens pretty quickly. So it's just not something that we do. So how does this league, the USHL, because we, we hear a little about the BCHL out here. How do you think that compares? Uh, I do think there are some similarities, like the premise is really the same um, of, you know, those in the Canadian Junior A leagues are uh, wanting to maintain NCAA eligibility uh, for the players. Uh, it's a slippery slope for me to comment on which is better so i'll just leave that to <laughs> do their, their own due diligence um you know and and I, I think that it's important for families too um you know whether you're I, I always get a kick out of you know when kids say i want to play in the dub or i want to play in the o or i want to play in the ushl or the bchl and i'm like well the discrepancy between an elite run program in the western hockey league and a poorly one run program is enormous you know and it's the same in every league so you know, I think it's uh, for families of young players, it's just important to do your homework on, on where you're going and, and the people that um, you're going to get involved with and make sure that, um, you know, what they're saying that they're going to do, they actually have a track record of doing. So, OK, so walk us through, like, what's the life cycle of a USHL player in terms of their their time with you? You start talking to them at what age? Uh, how long do they stick around? And I guess, what are, what are you looking for when you bring them into? Yeah. So I would say just kind of building off the Western league. So they have a Bantam draft. We don't have a Bantam draft. We have a midget draft. So we're one year behind when we start, uh, drafting. Um, and then our league actually has two drafts. We have phase one, which is, uh, this year will be all 2004 born players. So, you know, players in their first year of junior hockey eligibility. The phase two draft, which is the next day, uh, you can draft any player uh, that's not protected, born between 2000 and 2004. So any player that's eligible uh, by virtue of his birth year to play junior hockey. Um, it's unique because our league, uh, because we kind of partner with the college, um, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of turnover uh, of the roster. So for us, we hope to have players for two years. Um, you know, that's very different, right, than if you're an elite talent in the Western Hockey League and you start playing at 16 years old and maybe you get drafted in the second round, like you might play in the same place for five years. Um, whereas for us, the longest any player would play on our team is three years. And for the high, high end players, uh, they'll play for two and then and then they're off to college. Um, you know, so that's kind of uh, how that works. And then our league is, um, there's not a ton of young players in the league. So you know, even the teams that are friendly to the young player will only have two or three 16-year-olds um, on the team at a time, um, you know, and that's kind of how that's set up. And maybe this will be a good kind of example of how this works out, right? But your team made some pretty big news this week around the hockey world because you managed to land the Fantilli brothers, and one of those Fantilli brothers, Adam Fantilli, who's only 15, was expected to be the top pick in the OHL this year. So how did that shake out the... Um, the process of bringing those two players in and, and kind of what did you do to make them understand that this was the right route for them or, or to persuade them that it was the right route for them as opposed to going like to the OHL? Yeah, so Luca Fantilli um, is a defenseman. He's a late O two. We actually drafted him last year. So 
complete in the phase two draft. So we had owned his rights and his dream was always to go and play for the University of Michigan, which is now where he's committed. So he's kind of on track to do that. Um, Adam Fantilli uh, is a little bit different. Obviously, like you said, he was uh, projected to be the number one pick in the OHL draft. And, you know, next Saturday, he may very well still be the number one pick in the OHL draft. Um, he's a late 04, so he's three years away. Kind of how it came about was we have a player on our team uh, currently. Uh, it's probably a name that uh, people in Seattle may want to remember. Uh, Owen Power is his name and uh, casted right now to be a top two or three pick. So he could be number one um, in the 2021 NHL draft. He's from Mississauga. And he's been on our team for the last two years. Um, and he's actually going now as a 17-year-old. He's going to play at Michigan next year. Um, so wow. Owen Power kind of, you know, came here. And I guess for us, we were able to prove that uh, we can take an elite player out of Toronto and, and help uh, facilitate development in his game. And then in our program, we also have uh, two guys in player development in Daryl Belfry and Adam Nicholas that actually also work for the Toronto Maple Leafs um, as um, – player development consultants and uh coincidentally our head coach who left in the middle of the season greg moore uh, he left our team to go and be the head coach of the toronto marlies um so we have a lot of connectivity to that market um and we've had success with players in that market so um you know it was a kind of year-long recruiting process of adam and then you know the secondary part of it is there is a from a player's perspective when you go and play major junior you give away a lot of leverage, right? So, so if you sign and play, uh, in Adam's case, you know, as a, as a, a late 04, if he were to go to the OHL this season, he's three years in the same spot before he even gets drafted and maybe is back for an elite player four years in the same league where you're getting older and more mature, but the players are generally staying the same age, right? Because probably runs its course. And then we also leverage, um, you know, a, a kind of, I don't know if it's a, a loophole, but the language in the NHL collective bargaining agreement that if those players, even first round picks, you know, are drafted and don't play in the NHL, they can't go and play in American Hockey League. They have to go back to play, you know, for their team in the Canadian Hockey League. So we just pitch it as, all right, well, come here for a year. One, that doesn't close off any of your options. You, if the OHL is your dream, you know, you can still go and do that. Um, you know, our our belief is that he's going to love it and be like, all right, I want to stay here. And then, you know, he'll have the ability to accelerate his academics where he can, similar to Owen, uh, go to the NCAA in his draft year. And then he can decide, you know, at that point, okay, I want to stay in the NCAA one more year. Uh, I or he maybe makes his NHL team. He, he signs a contract and want to play in the NHL, or he can go to the American Hockey League. So it just gives players a lot of flexibility and a lot of leverage. Whereas you know when they sign the the contract in, in the Canadian Hockey League, uh, they're married to it and it closes the door. Um, you know on their NCAA eligibility for the most part, and um, and it you know kind of has the you know gives all the power to the team in the canadian hockey league and and i certainly like i think leagues in the canadian hockey league are are amazing and and the product that they have is awesome and um and uh you know it's a great league so i i certainly am in no way you know trying to disparage that I, there are some significant advantages uh from a player perspective so i want to back up uh kind of talk about your journey a bit um you started out coaching at sacred heart can you tell me how that opportunity came about and then um what that experience was like yeah, I kind of have a, I guess, unique journey just in that I didn't play college hockey or pro hockey. So, you know, when I started out, I really had nothing, uh, you know, to leverage and just, you know, was starting at the ground floor. So 
I was actually a student at Sacred Heart and I had known the head coach, um, you know, since I was a teenager and we had a mutual friend. So I, you know, asked my mutual friend, really more of a mentor, uh, this guy, Dave Gregory, who he lived in my town. He actually coached my younger brother in youth football. Um, and uh, I asked him, you know, if he would connect me and I could just start, um, you know, doing anything really that, that I could help and support, um, you know, the college team. And so I did that for two years. Um, and then everything just kind of, you know, I graduated, I went to Williams college, um, in division three, which was an amazing experience. And then, um, you know, kind of from there, I bounced around a little bit, a little bit in North American league, went back to sacred heart. Um, I started working with central scouting and then, um, for me, kind of my break, I guess, if you will, was, uh, when I went to work for the national team development program. So I was there for parts of four seasons, uh, which was amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I learned so much there and had such a, a great experience with so many, uh, you know, talented players coming through that program and getting to watch them. And then from there, I went uh, to the Boston Bruins. Uh, I spent two years as an amateur scout um, covering Western Canada, well, the United States primarily, and then Western Canada and uh, international tournaments. Um, and then this opportunity uh, with Chicago came up. Uh, maybe about two years ago, right around this time. Um, and, uh, so I, you know, was kind of excited about running my own shop and, and trying out some ideas. And, um, that's kind of how I ended up doing what I'm doing. How long were you with uh, central scouting? I only did that for once. And so whenever I see those rankings come out, I'm always curious how, if the central scouting scouts view those players as much as like an NHL team scout would. Oh uh, yeah. I think the viewings are, are probably pretty similar. Um, like central scouting has, I don't know what the number is of full-time skies. Let's call it eight or nine, um, okay. all around the world, mostly in North America. And then they have local regional guys that, um, that take care of, you know, obviously a smaller area. And then, you know, one thing they do that I really like is they, uh, obviously they run the NHL combine, but they also like weigh and measure the kids. So they verify, um, all of that information to be accurate, uh, which mm. is, you know, a big deal when the team lists a guy who's 5'11 at six foot two. you know, I think for <laughs> NHL teams, it's nice to get, uh, um, you know, accurate information there. And then they also uh, disseminate questionnaires to every player. So, mm. and, and that all goes into a database that they have uh, that everyone can access. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot of things that central scouting provides on top of just, uh, the you know, the player evaluation, the list, uh, yeah. um, you know, and the list is, uh, I, I often wonder if, if the value of the list from an NHL's perspective is just to get people talking about the list, you know, it drives so much interest <laughs> sure. in the draft and, and, and everyone, you know, whether it's central scouting or, or anyone, uh, you know, that has a private list or whatever on Twitter. It's, I, I think it's so funny when a guy will have a player, say 30th and another guy 37th and people are fighting to the death about how they have those <laughs> two players, seven spots are wrong, you know, in the wrong. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, you know, it's great. Yeah, the, the discourse that it starts and, uh, but, but yeah, that's kind of how that works. Oh, thanks. So, Interesting. so do you ever miss coaching? Like, cause you've kind of been on this path outside of coaching for a while now. Is there aspects you miss? You ever think you could go back to coaching, or is that something that you feel it's you've already done and and kind of moving on to different different things? Yeah, no, I, the parts of coaching that I love are 
I mean, like anything, I, I love the competition. You know, I think it's just nice a couple of times a week to get the juices flowing and get to compete. But the things in coaching that I really love were kind of the human connection with the players and, um, you know, trying to help them pull out the best inside of themselves. And uh, kind of in this role, I, I'm probably more involved with the players on a daily basis than a traditional general manager would be. Um, you know, in our organization, our coaches are – um, and everyone, just the culture that we have, we really, it's to value the player, but our, and our coaches have great relationship with the kids, but I, I spend a lot of time with them, um, you know, even through a mentorship perspective, or even just making jokes with them and hanging out. I, I think our environment is a really authentic one. Um, and we don't, you know, pretend like us in management or our coaches are, you know, way up here on the totem pole and the players are just there to, you know, amuse us. Like we're very much for them and kind of in the battle with them. So I get to still do that in my role. And then, um, you know, the coaches that we have, uh, the guys we have in player development, the guys we have in sports performance, the men and women in analytics and, and in scouting, um, you know, they're really good at what they do. And for the coaches, they're better at what they do than I would be at, at their jobs, you know? And I think that um, I'm able to recognize that, for our uh, operation to work as smoothly as it does. Uh, I'm best suited in, in the role that I am and, and identifying and hiring uh, the very talented people to do those jobs. So um, I guess the shortened version is I, I get to do my favorite parts still um, in the role that I have. And the other things I'm not as good at or don't like to do, I get to hire someone to do those things. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. And you mentioned you spent time with the national development program, uh, that, that feels like for American-born players, that's kind of the 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 epitome of where you want to be. Does does that is that a true assessment? Like for if you're an American-born player, that's where you want to end up playing. Uh, yeah, I think by and large, the kids are that's their dream. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think that the opportunity to play for your country is pretty special, right? So yeah, um, and and uh, the history of players, um, you know, that have come through that program. Um, and the impact that they're currently making uh, in the National Hockey League is is pretty substantial. Um, and you know, for our program in Chicago, you know, there's probably a lot of things that I that we took from that program mm -hmm. um, and 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 applied in our thing. And then you know, we're able to look at some other things that we wanted to evolve and and grow. And and our hope is that you know, kind of everybody in our league will do that. And um, another thing that's been pretty cool is is you know, it's hard for the other teams in our league because we're competing against them. Mm -hmm. So they're not that interested in calling up and sharing ideas. But <laughs> uh, we've had a lot of teams in the Ontario Hockey League and, and across Canada. It's actually kind of what we're doing. It's actually, I think, more interesting to people in Canada uh, than it is in the United States. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see as if we start to see more of a shift um, towards individual player development and marrying player development, you know, with the team concepts, which is uh, – you know, very much what we're trying to do. Who were some of the players that you personally recruited to the development team when you were there? So when I got there, uh, the guy that was there before me, uh, he had recruited the 96 and 97 birth years. So those players, so that's Matthews, Anafin, Kachuk, or Matthew Kachuk. Uh, so all those guys uh, were there 
before I got there. And so I got to kind of watch them grow like that 97 group. I got to, you know, analyze them for the two years. And then, um, you know, I was working, I was scouting Bantams when we did a 98. So really the, the groups that I have the most connectivity to are 99s, 2000s. And, and then on the back end, 2001s where I had left to go and work for the Bruins. Um, and, um, uh, Jeremiah Crow uh, took over in my position. He was work- like kind of my partner before and I stayed on to, to help him in a way, but yeah, so that would be kind of my window. So the players that people would know would be Quinn Hughes, Brady Kachuk, you know, those type guys, uh, were the guys that, that I knew coming through the program and, and started scouting them at, you know, 14 years old. So you go into, I assume at least the home rink, maybe the home of a Brady Kachuk, a Quinn Hughes. Uh, how does that, process shake out like how, how do you initiate that contact um what happens during that process yeah i mean brady kachuk obviously was his brother was in the program so that was you know a kind of easy i think the important thing when you have brothers that play is to make, make sure that brady uh you know was not treated as matthew's brother but you know got his own separate recruiting process so kind of how it works is uh and it's the similar process for us when you're scouting bantams or midgets like tournaments are probably where you get the most bang for your buck. You know, you can clip off 25 games in three days. And uh, <laughs> so you identify the players, you, you build a list and, um, and uh, you know, then you just get contact information and start to open up a dialogue and explain, um, you know, what the program is about or now for us, you know, what our junior team is about and you just relationship built. And then kind of, it all just kind of happens a little bit organically over the two years and then for them typically it culminates in their tryout camp or evaluation camp they call it uh which would have been two weekends ago or last weekend i don't even know what day it is in coronavirus life but uh, <laughs> it would have been recently and uh it uh you know that got canceled so they had to pick the team on the fly but that's generally you know how the system works yeah uh speaking of that i saw the spider-man meme the other day where it's the two spider-mans that are pointing at each other and yeah. but it had seven Spider-Mans and each one was a different day of the week and they were all just pointing at each other. So, um, That's pretty good. So, I hope they were all six feet apart. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a good point. The socially distancing Spider-Man. Uh, so you move on to the the Boston Bruins. Um, obviously, I'm I'm imagining in the moment that feels like a huge step for you in your career. Uh, was there any like hesitation about jumping on that? How did that come up, and um, how did that role compare to what you did for the development team? Yeah, it was uh, no, there was no hesitation. I'm from Connecticut, you know, so uh, I'm a fan of all of the Boston sports generally. Um, so it was really exciting to me and original six team and, and all of that. And certainly, you know, as I had said before, kind of started really much, very much from the bottom. So the opportunity to go and work for an NHL team was in a lot of ways, you know, a lifelong dream. And, um, I really enjoyed my experience there. You know, it was difficult in some ways of going from, you know, being the primary builder of a team to then, uh, you know, being an idea, a guy giving, you know, ideas and perspectives and, you know, just being one of 15 guys doing that and, and not really having uh, an ability to truly influence, you know, decision-making. I would say that um, I had a hard time with it. I, I learned a lot from it. You know, I, I just kind of self-assessing would say I didn't always handle that uh, the right way or, or, you know, my body language or whatever. So, um, but no, the experience as a whole was awesome. Uh, it was great guys. I worked with, with the Bruins, 
um, the success that they've had in the last few years, uh, you know, it was a little bit different when I first got there They missed the playoffs, maybe two years in a row, at least one year in a row. And, uh, that year made a coaching change. And, um, you know, Don Sweeney, I, I really admire him. I think he's a really, really intelligent guy and, um, he's a really hard worker and, and always treated me great. So, you know, I love that experience. Um, and, and it was all positive, uh, but certainly something that I felt like, you know, I had to do and not had to get on my resume to check a box, but kind of, yeah. you know, and uh, so that's what I did. Hmm. So you, you then parlay that into the, the job you're in now, the GM at the Chicago Steel. And I think from the outside, people would think that's that's odd to go from an NHL team back to kind of more of a development uh, league. Why did he make that move and, and kind of walk us through that at least thought process? It is odd. Um, I think some people at the time were like, this kid's out of his mind, you know. Uh, and at that time, you know, the, the the brand of the Chicago Steel was not really in a great place. Um, so it was even riskier um, to, to some degree. But I just looked at it from the perspective of, uh, I don't know when or where, but at some point I kind of reflected back and where I started and was like, this is kind of it's the Twitter stuff and the engagement with people is probably all connected. Like in a way I'm playing with house money. Like I never, you know, when you start where I start with no connections and no, nothing to really leverage uh, all of this is kind of a dream, you know, and, and I've never like lost the little kid in me that uh, like, I just love hockey, you know, and, and I'm getting to work in hockey and, and, um, and, uh, I just love every day. So, you know, I looked at it of like, okay, from a professional standpoint, I could stay as a scout here. And then maybe if I'm lucky in five years, you know, someone will be like, Oh man, you know, that guy's impressive. And maybe I become the director of amateur scouting somewhere and then, you know, do that for five years. And then maybe, you know, I become the director of player personnel and so on and so on. And I'm like, you know, started to count the years. I'm like, oh man, I'm getting pretty old as I start to add all of this <laughs> together. So I, I was like, you know what? Um, I looked at this thing in junior. I knew I could start with a clean slate, you know, staff wise. I knew we had Daryl Belfry and Adam Nicholas uh, from a player development thing. And this was always kind of my dream. Like my dream really is to kind of do what we're doing, you know, at the highest level possible of eliminating, you know, the kind of silos that exist and the walls between departments and tying scouting to player development to the to the coaching of the team and and piecing it all together and and that's what we do in Chicago so really uh what the decision was was I pretty much kind of said all right I'll just uh you know gamble I guess all the the leverage and goodwill that that I've built over the years I'll just you know push those chips to the table and in a way bet on myself and um you know in doing that I I bet on a lot of people that uh you know decided to come and, and work with me at a a time when, uh, you know, it had some risk and, um, truthfully looking back now with the success that we've had and, and what we're building, uh, it was, um, an unbelievable decision and, and the best one that I could have made, but it was scary. It came with some risk. And, uh, you know, when we started two years ago, uh, the cupboard of players was, was bare in the organization. And, and that's not any criticism of the group before they had had a couple good, you know, runs in the playoffs and, and, um, we actually had a lot of draft picks, but just not a lot of assets um, in the organization. So we we're able to build through the draft and, and get a couple things breaking our way in trades. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate our season got cut short when it did because we were, uh, you know, breaking pretty much every record in our league. And, um, 
uh, you know, it's an exciting time. So yeah, it was scary. Uh, it was a little bold. It might've been stupid, uh, but it worked out. So, uh, so it's, uh, it's good now. First year you massively exceed expectations. I think I saw something that you were picked for 16 out of 17 teams or something like that. And, uh, you were ended up being the, the GM of the year. Was that obviously you had a lot to do with that, but was that nearly close to what your expectations were for, for yourself and the team in that first year? Um, yeah, in terms of GM of the year, like I don't really care about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I <laughs> not a big deal. I care about I care about it in so far as I look at it as a celebration of our entire department, right? Like uh-huh. if we don't have great coaches, it doesn't work. If we don't, you know, get great players who want to buy into what we're doing, it doesn't work, right? So it's all I appreciate it in terms of a reflection of our group, but for me. Uh, my mom gets real excited about it. You know, she likes my mom is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So all the articles, you know, go on each platform. But uh, no, for me, uh, we definitely exceeded expectations. Um, I think in preseason, we didn't, when we started, we didn't even have enough players really to field like a full roster. So we were kind of wow. adding like really late in the summer. And in preseason, I think we went like one and five. And then we went to um, kind of the opening weekend as USHL's fall classic. They bring all the teams to Pittsburgh. Uh, we got run out of the building there 10 to five on the second game the night before we're up I think four to two with like two and a half to play uh and we lost five four in overtime so that was a tough start Mm -hmm. and then we just kind of started to build and started to gain momentum and we had young players and they started to grow um and and um you know we could start to feel kind of around January February like all right this is coming together like we might have a shot uh but in terms of like we lost in the final, uh, we never could have imagined, you know, we just wanted to get the playoffs and build for this season and, mm-hmm. you know, have the franchise set up to be sustainable, you know, long-term, like we never want to be one of these teams that goes and wins the championship, but at the cost is of the next four years, you know, we right. want to mm-hmm. compete for the championship every year and, and be re- reloading. Um, so no, I, I think the first year was, in a lot of ways for our group, we felt that we accomplished, you know, more in the first year, even then, than we did in this year, just because this year was so much easier, um, you know, returning so many players and with so many high end players uh, coming into the fold. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, there were some dicey days in that first season. I want to go <laughs> back uh, to something you said a moment ago about uh, eliminating silos. Right. And the NHL, you're right. It's very siloed. You have everybody works in a different department and they have very different things that they're focused on. Whereas USHL, I imagine that you're a a part of a very small team there that kind of does it all. Do you think there's something to be said for, you know, like the way that things work in in kind of the higher level organizations in terms of how they collaborate, right? Like if if a team is struggling, let me put it this way. If a team is struggling, like how much do you think that has to do with people just not communicating well enough? I think it's huge. I mean, really, the genesis of what we're doing is really rooted from that. Like, I would kind of study different NHL organizations, and I would talk to guys. Like, the way I look at it is you kind of have in-hockey operations, obviously, and the entire, you know, deal with marketing and and, and tickets and, and all of that stuff, sponsorship. Like, there's so many others. But just in terms of hockey operations, you kind of have your assembly line with scouting and player evaluation, and then you have player development, and then you have, you know, your kind of American League kind of process in your NHL process. And, and so I was kind of looking at it and analyzing organizations and seeing how really disconnected that they were. Right. So I would go and talk to an NHL head coach or assistant coach. And I would just say, Hey, what are the most important things in a player for you? And to a man, they always say, 
oh, we want guys that are smart and can make plays and want to work hard and compete and are good teammates. And then I would go and ask the guys in player development. I'm like, guys, you guys get these kids, whether they're, you know, they get drafted and then they go to college or, you know, they're playing a junior and you got to, you know, impart your wisdom on them. Um, You know, what are the easiest things for you to fix and what are the hardest? And they're like, well, gee, just give me smart players that want to learn and want to work and compete and, uh, and, you know, have an appetite for that. And then I'm like, okay, okay. Those two guys are aligned. And then, you know, you, you get with scouts and they're like, Oh, uh, I love this guy. I think we should draft him with our first pick. Okay. Tell me about him. Oh, you know, he's six foot four. He's got 50 goals in the Ontario hockey league and this, 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 and this. I said, oh, that's great. Uh, what can you tell me about his hockey sense? Ah, uh, you know, it's okay. Like an area that he's got to improve. How about his competitiveness? Well, he's kind of lazy, but if this happens, if this happens, I mean, how, how can we leave him on the board? He's six foot four, shoots it like an NHL or 50 goals in the Ontario. And, and that's kind of how it works, you know? And then, uh, you know, the scouts, you'll, you'll draft a player and, and especially, you know, a six, four guy that you can't, that guy can't miss. So when he does, oh, you know, it wasn't our fault. It was just player development or the team didn't utilize him right. You know, and then the team, mm. the coaches are like, ah, oh, scouts don't give us good players, you know, and, <laughs> and, but it's not complicated. If, if everyone is saying, all right, these are the, the characteristics that we value, but those aren't the ones that were exclusively, you know, doing and scouting and we're not really working together. Like, what are we doing? You know, and um, I think professional sports, I don't think this is exclusive to the NHL, but there's a lot of people that, um, you know, are, are really happy to have the job that they have, you know, and they don't want to upset the apple cart because that comes with risk, you know, and kind of just staying in the middle is a very safe place to be. And I think that um, in professional sport, we probably have, uh, too much groupthink and too much uh, of a focus on self-preservation mm-hmm. um, and just, um, you know, doing things to survive. And then I think as a byproduct of that, you end up with too many people um, and a lot of people with overlapping jobs because you had to hire mm-hmm. another guy to cover for another guy. And then then there becomes infighting and everybody is focused on, you know, their own whatever. So it's certainly easier. Like we have kind of a 10 person outfit and then you know in scouting we have another 10 um so it's it's a smaller group and easier to manage and you're able to have you know human connectivity with with everyone which which is huge and and you try to and then i think it you know the responsibility falls on the leader uh to kind of dial in all these departments so that they are efficient and and working effectively together but then also to make everyone feel uh that they truly are a valued member of what you're doing and, and that they're part of you know, the larger mission and that you're all in it together. And I think you know, one of the biggest things people don't do is they don't fire anybody. You know, if someone is, <laughs> is uh, not on board with what you're doing or, or they're uh, not working or, or not pulling in the right direction, get rid of them, you know, and, and uh, certainly give them an opportunity and you have conversations and you try to, but if people don't, you know, have, they just are there to be there, you know, they're doing more harm for you than good. Having a body that, does nothing or does something against what you need um, is detrimental. It's not, it's nice to have people in these departments, but if they don't do anything, then uh, they don't really serve any purpose. When you were scouting for, for Boston or, or even for now with Chicago, uh, I like what you said there about, you know, do they compete and, and you know, what, are they hard workers? How, how do you measure that? Because that's that's obviously a subjective trait. Ooh, like hockey IQ is off the charts. I love when scouts say that because that's not a subjective yeah. thing at all. <laughs> no, I, I think those two are great, are great ones, right? Like, and, and what's interesting about them is that you really can't quantify them, right? Mm-hmm. So um, now, you know, some people would say that 
X, Y, and Z demonstrates uh, that they could do this. But no, for me, sure. it's uh, like I like guys that can make plays. So that's where it starts. Like, can you see the ice and create a situation for the other players? And then I think a lot of it goes to like character research and practice habits. So like to your point on like what is competing and, and uh, you know, the cliche that, that was like in hockey, we use so many of these stupid cliches mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. hockey IQ off the charts, 200 yeah. foot player, yep, yep. you know, high compete <laughs> level. Like you could just Who remodel your game after <laughs> now, now, now like that one though, I think is a great one. And I'll say, and here's why, like if you have a, like um, a one dimensional shooter and you're like, Oh, who's the NHL player you try to emulate? And he's like, Oh, Sidney Crosby. Like that kid has no idea what he is. You know, like he's in, he's in fantasy land, you know? So now, you know, that's kind of a knock against his hockey sense. and really is knock against his self-awareness. And I think it's all kind of tied together where you have, you get a lot of players that think there's something that they're not. You can never convince that player that he is what he support, what he, his skill set dictates that he is, right? It's very difficult. Um, so I think it's a lot of it is that in the, in the character research piece. And then for us, uh, we spend a lot of time and I think that NHL teams would be well served to, to do this. Um, like if a player is very physically underdeveloped and he's always making elite plays all over the rink, well, one, his little body is taking a pounding some because he's just so much smaller than everybody. And mm-hmm. two, adding weight and getting strong in the gym is the easiest way to make improvement. Like, it's really your body and what you put in it and the effort that you put in there once you go through puberty. So like a lot of these players just haven't gone through puberty yet. Yeah. And you know, when they do, they'll be great. So we get so excited about these players in junior, but you know, just because your birth certificate says you're 17, like you might really be 25. You know, if you have a full <laughs> beard at 17, that's way different than a kid who, you know, looks like a prepubescent 13 year old, uh-huh. you know, and, and their, their birth certificate says they're the same age. And that's why, you know, it's so funny where we get hung up on, oh, this guy went through the draft one time. Like, what difference does that make? A player at 17 years old, there could be a, like a seven or eight year discrepancy in what their body really is, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think it's all doing that and, and finding out what their practice habits are like, what their mindset is, what their training habits. And I think all of that kind of ties into their competitiveness. Um, you know, like I think we probably in hockey spend too much time, like, Oh, if a guy like works hard in the corners, like to your point, what the hell does that even mean? You know, mm-hmm. works hard in the corners. Like, does it mean his feet are churning fast? Does it mean that he like <laughs> just check this guy? Like, I, I don't know what value that has. So it's more about, uh, you know, studying a mindset. And then, uh, you know, I also find that most players are, you know, we, we get very hung up now on character. And, and mm-hmm. I think that character research is very important um, for a multitude of reasons. But too often now we want to toe tag a kid for being a kid, you know, like how I say dumb stuff on Twitter all, all the time. How could I get mad at a kid for what he puts on social media? You know, like it's a, it's a, now if it's him, you know, chain smoking cigarettes at, at 14 years old, then obviously, you know, we probably have a problem, but for the most part, you know, kids have good in them and they have bad in them and the environment that they go into is going to pull out that part of them, you know, and um, I don't think it's all kind of tied together, but I, I do. I, I think the cliches are funny. And, and I think that, you know, the, I think that's, you know, why teams say that, oh, we're successful if we got two NHL players in a seven round draft is because the most important things are hard to quantify and quite frankly, are hard for people to see. 
uh, and a lot of people don't see them when they're right in front of them, you know? Great stuff, man. I love, I love this. I could probably talk hours about this. Um, <laughs> so, I, you know, I like to look at, at the rosters. I grew up in California, now obviously live in Washington, and I think about the growth of the sport and kind of what's happened. I, lo- I love to look at wherever I'm at, particularly college or development leagues, I look at the rosters, where are these kids from? And you have some kids from Arizona, California, and Florida, as well as like, you know, a handful from Illinois and, and more quote unquote traditional places. How does that impact your recruiting as far as reaching those players? Now, a lot of them end up centralizing in kind of uh, high level Bantam programs or, or whatnot. Uh, so it might not be as hard as it, it appears to be, but, but what is that like recruiting from all those different areas? Yeah, I, I think you're bang on. It's not as hard as, as it really seems like. It's not like the kids in California, you know, I had to go and watch them play in Manhattan Beach to, to find them. You know, one was at Shattuck um, and one was at Westminster out east, you know. So mm-hmm. we traditionally scout. Um, and then the Arizona kids, they play in a league called the Tier 1 Elite League. So a lot of the, which is the LA Junior Kings are in there. Anaheim is in there. San Jose is in there. Dallas is in there. Colorado Thunderbirds. So all of the teams in the West, uh, they generally come to the middle uh, for tournaments. So we get to see them, you know, in that environment. And then, you know, Minnesota and New England, and this is just speaking about the United States, but Minnesota and New England are, um, you know, more difficult to evaluate because there's so many teams and they're so spread out. And the players, you know, aren't concentrated on, like, if you're a top player in Arizona, <laughs> it's more probable than not that you're playing for the Phoenix Junior Coyotes, you know, and, mm-hmm. and if you're a top player, in LA, you're playing for Anaheim or you're playing for LA, you know, that's just what you're doing. So, um, you know, where in, you know, Minnesota, most of those kids stay in their community. Now they get together in the summer, um, you know, and play on select teams. And then in, when they play high school hockey, they have this thing, the, um, you guys obviously are familiar you know, with it, but the Minnesota area, the upper Midwest, the league, league, they call it. So all those kids are concentrated together in the fall. Um, and then you, we have national camps in the summer for 15, 16 and 17. So you kind of get your leads there and you kind of know, and then not that we get too hung up on it, but like the, my hockey rankings, you know, you kind of go through those and all right, if I've seen the top 25 kids or 25 teams in that, I've seen most of the high end players, you know, and then let's call it, you've seen 80 versus 90% of the high end players in those 25 teams. And then you just kind of branch out from there and, and try to cover it all. But it's certainly, you know, scouting 15 year olds is very much an inexact science, especially, you know, with the geography and some teams have philosophies on it. They stay with heavy Midwest kids or, you know, whatever the case may be, we don't have any of that. Um, we just try to get the guys that are the best fit for us, um, regardless of, of where they come from. And I actually think it creates a really cool environment where, you know, a kid from Manhattan beach and a kid from Scottsdale and a kid from Saskatoon and a kid from, uh, Northern Finland, you know, are all in the same, and a kid from Connecticut are all on the same team. And, uh, um, you know, after the same thing, but they bring different personalities mm-hmm. and they, it's kind of cool to bring it all together and, and, uh, watch them rub off on each other. And, and, uh, the dynamics are fun. How many scouts would you say the the general USHL team employs? Uh, we have eight, I believe I would say that. Are they full time? No, everyone is yeah. part-time volunteer based. Um, it's very like I, last year we didn't have a big scouting department at all. And I kind of looked at it as, an area. Um, I have a guy, Tristan Musser. He has this 
speaks back to what we were talking about before of kind of breaking down silos between departments. But he works for so our player development uh, stuff is uh, contracted through Daryl Belfry and his company Belfry Hockey. So Tristan's job about seventy five percent of his salary is paid through that agreement that we have with Belfry, and then you know mm. we kick in the other twenty five percent through the team to do scouting. So he has a hybrid job where. Monday to Thursday, he does player development with the kids, um, either at small group sessions or during practice, like he buzzes around with an iPad and then he'll pull a guy out of line and, and, you know, pull the last clip back of his last rep. And then he, you know, he can do a lot of things with it. So he does that Monday to Thursday and then he goes out and, and leads our scouting efforts on the weekend and he oversees the scouting department. So, um, you know, we kind of have tied player development to scouting naturally in that way. Um, and so he's a full-time guy who oversees it all, but, um, most of them are. So we looked at it and said, you know, we want to be developing people in this organization too. So we were able to go out and, um, obviously, you know, John knows EJ well, and she's been an awesome addition. And she's also, you know, kind of, we get, uh, data from iceberg, um, so she scrapes that data and, and is doing a couple different things that, that get her, uh, you know, brain moving and flowing mm-hmm. and she kicks those back to us. And I think that kind of speaks to another thing of it's not, okay, your job is to scale the Western conference of the USHL and that's your job. Like everyone in any department, if they say, Hey, I, I got, I have passion about this. Can, do you mind if I work on this project? Be mm-hmm. my guest, you know, and, yeah. and um, anything that we could do to push each other and help each other, um, you know, is what we're after. Ryan, where do you go next? Like, obviously, I don't I don't know that you'd have any plans of moving on right away from the Chicago Steel, but you've proven that you can be successful at that level. Uh, I think the team, correct me if I'm wrong here, but if this this season ended, I think your team was like 41 and 7 or something like that. Am I right on that? Yeah, we won. We lost one time in overtime too, so 41 <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so that's not bad. Uh, but anyway, my point is you've, you've kind of proven that you can run a successful organization, at least at the USHL level. Do you have long-term aspirations and kind of a, a view of where you're going to head whenever you decide to move on from this? Yeah, I mean, I obviously that's why I came here, right? Like we talked about before, like I, I wanted to prove that I could get with people and create a hockey organization that, um, you know, was built this way. And I, I truly believe like if I'm building an American hockey league team uh, where I have to develop players for the NHL, like stealing our model, is probably the best in the world. Like just being frank about it, um, for developing players. So, you know, I think that teams are looking at that and that's pretty attractive. All, you know, John and I were talking when we were in Boston um, a couple weeks back. Like, I, I'm not going to go just to go. Like, I love what I'm doing. I think that this probably goes across any industry. Uh, it's very rare that you get to work in a very efficient and effective environment alongside people that you love hanging out with and that you have a tremendous passion for, right? So I think that for us in sport, too often we could just be in a rush to get to the next level or do the next thing. And, and when you have something special like we do, you – take it for granted or, or don't cherish it for what it is. So I'm not in a hurry to go. Um, but I'm sure that, you know, once the American league season gets canceled, that the phone will start ringing and people will start, um, you know, reaching out about that. And I'll just go case by case. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, if it's something that I think that we could really build something, you know, I'll go, uh, but, but I'm not going to go just to go. So that's kind of how, how I'm, I'm looking at it. And, um, you know, I, I certainly have a great deal of pride in, in what we've been able to build here. And, and I think that, um, 
you know, there's no doubt in my mind that, that I could take it and, and do it at a higher level if that opportunity comes, you know, with the right situation, the right people. Uh, but again, uh, also, you know, don't want to ever lose sight of the fact that I love what I'm doing and I love the people I'm doing it with. And I'm so excited about our team, you know, next year, there's uh we got some incredible players. So, um, you know, not in a rush at all. If you look around the room of your peers, right, all the GMs and it, certainly the USHL, are you one of the younger ones in the league? I mean, is that a safe assessment? Because it, it seems yeah, like you've I, had I a pretty good I'm, rise. I think I'm the youngest. Maybe there's one younger than me. An interesting setup is there. Interesting thing about how our league is set up is that a lot of our teams have head coach and general manager as one person. Mm. Um, and then in a lot of other teams, even where they're separate, the head coach is really the, the pinnacle of the organization. And then the GM is essentially like, heading up the scouting department. So my job is unique in that there's not many where the standalone GM is kind of the architect of it. So, uh, but yeah, I, I'm certainly, uh, I'm, I just turned 34. So I'm certainly, uh, if not the youngest, maybe the second youngest or some, something like that. I mean, you're young still, but you are pretty much uh, going to be a hockey lifer. Do you think that's a safe assessment? Like you're not thinking about remotely any other careers outside hockey. I mean, have you ever thought about it since graduating Sacred Heart? No, I I love I love this. Like my I was so fortunate. My I have great parents. My dad he um, was an electrician and was second generation, and now my brother does it. And my dad was awesome. You know, he was never like, hey, you have to go into the family business or or do this, uh, you know, type of thing. Like, do whatever you want to do. And, um, you know, I I would always watch my dad. And, you know, I I don't know if he truly loved what he was doing. You know, it's just what he he had to do. And, uh, uh, like, I I love this. I, I love the interaction with the players. I, I mean, I'm kind of going stir crazy here. That's why I keep getting in trouble on Twitter. Like I just, and trying to find people to talk about hockey with, cause I'm just sitting here, you know, going crazy. Yeah. But, uh, I, I love it. I can't imagine, you know, doing anything else. And, you know, quite frankly, like I couldn't sit behind a desk. I would be a disaster. So, uh, kind of, uh, I'm lucky that I have this thing. Otherwise I'd probably be in trouble. All right. Well, we have a position open for a fourth podcast host. If you want to join our show, I I I don't know if it pays well. We're a beaver there with all the beers and do the podcast there. I'm in, I'll be here every day. (laughs) Uh, before we let you go, Ryan, and this has been awesome. Like so much fun talking to you. Uh, but I want to ask you, I feel like you have a lot of good stories from your journeys here over, over your hockey career. What is the one story that you think our listeners need to hear today? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I got plenty that are, are not suitable, uh, for this forum, but no, I, I would say, um, kind of just summing this all up. Like I, uh, we just had our exit meetings, uh, and I, so many cool things have happened. Like I, I got to, um, you know, kind of come up and, and go level to level. And like, I've met a lot of my heroes, you know, and I, I think that that's really cool that when I was a little kid, you know, playing ball hockey and being these people, and then, you know, I never would lead this on, but then you get to meet them and it's just such an amazing thing. Like, to, uh, you know, like I said earlier, I've never, the kid in me has never left, you know, and, um, kind of funny not to go on a side tangent, uh, like uh, with you guys, uh, heavy Seattle influence here. Uh, well, when I was a kid, Ken Griffey Jr. was my hero. You know, I, I just wanted to be Ken Griffey, and I was born in 1985. So, uh, you know, 19 
95 ALDS, like I was living and dying on, on every pitch and, oh, and wow. just things you don't forget. But, you know, in hockey, you know, so many of my heroes, I've been able to meet them and, and work for them or work alongside of them. That's, that's been really cool. I think that a lot of people pretend like that's not cool, you know, cause you go mm-hmm. and you're working, you're like, Oh, I gotta be serious. I gotta be business, <laughs> you know, but that's awesome. But I, I, for me, just the connection with the kids and, and we did our exit meetings this week. Um, you know, speaking about Owen power, uh, hopefully for you guys, he's a Seattle crap weasel or whatever the heck you guys <laughs> call yourselves. But, uh, uh, On brand, yeah, perfect. <laughs> to have a player, you know, like that, and uh, with so much talent and such an amazing kid, and you know, we're saying goodbye to him, and he's crying, and we're crying, and um, you know, I think it's the human connection. I've had so many of these kids uh, through this process that you just invest all of your heart and soul in their life, and and to try to help them find the best version of themselves and be the best that they could be. And, and then when you have success, it's so gratifying. So I could be here all day telling stories about kids or telling stories about, um, you know, like when I was, uh, I'll give you one, when I was, uh, a squirt. So I think I was not 10 or 11 or something. Uh, Keith Kachuk, he played for, um, uh, 96 world cup team, which is probably the best U S team that was ever assembled. And he wore 17. So that next year in squirt, I wore 17. And then, you know, one year when his boys were playing in the program, I had to go down to a tournament in St. Louis and he um, was going back to Michigan to watch the boys play because I was going to link up with him. And he was like, well, you can just stay at my house if you want. I was like, okay. So I'm just sitting in his basement theater playing on his Xbox with my feet up. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of hilarious, you know? Um, and uh, So, you know, things like that, that, that happen are, are so cool, but it's been, um, it's been an awesome journey. I'm so excited about, you know, what's to come in Chicago and, and certainly, you know, for me personally, uh, what's more likely than not to come, you know, here in the next decade or so. So it's just an awesome thing. And, and I've been so blessed. All right. Well, Ryan, this has been amazing. Uh, we hope that you stay safe, that you continue to wash your hands and practice social distancing. And uh, we hope to have you back on the podcast soon because this has been a lot of fun. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, this. Ryan. Thank you guys. Uh, obviously John and I have uh, spent some good time together on the, uh, hockey analytics conference circuit as outsiders of the not as smart as the rest of the group but it was uh this has been a privilege has been fun and uh, anything i can do you guys just let me know all right thank you again to ryan that was just awesome uh so go find him on twitter he's been arguing with people and stuff and providing some (laughs) entertainment uh on social media if you ever find him in a bar go talk to him yeah sit down next to him take care of you yeah, he will buy you six pitchers of beer and he will tell you some great stories in the process. So, uh, but thank you again. That was, that was really great. Uh, we're going to move on now to our segments and our first segment is everyone's favorite segment, which of course is goalie gear corner. Our goalie gear corner this I, week I didn't think is this was a thing. literally yeah. a corner of goalie gear, uh, Brian Elliott of the Philadelphia Flyers. Somebody called him out, and I don't even know who it was. I think it was like maybe Goalie Goalie Magazine or Ingoal Magazine uh, to talk about his mask that had the Philadelphia Eagles logo on it that he wore at one of the Stadium Series games. It was basically just an orange mask, but it had the Eagles mm-hmm. wings on top. It was pretty cool. Um, and somebody mentioned it on Twitter, and he said, oh, you mean this one? And he put it on and took a picture of it. But in the background... Uh, was like his TV setup and he has all these built-in shelves 
with probably 20 masks on it. And it's all his masks that he's worn throughout the years. And I just thought that that was, it's something that I need to aspire to. So I need to start buying like a mask a year now, um, (laughs) which is going to be a very expensive hobby. But it was, it was outstanding. I thought it was so, so cool. And I needed to just kind of call that out. Um, On that topic, by the way, I have some breaking news Uh that I need to share with you and with the listeners we have a breaking news sound sound effect we don't if you could just uh do some foley work right now please Andy. uh now breaking news with darren i don't know <laughs> now we need something like uh like just thank you yeah dateline seattle is that during self-isolation i decided that i wanted to learn a new skill because there's not a lot that you get to you know go out and do so the new skill that I'm working on is video editing and video production. So I'm going to start doing some little short videos. I don't really know where I'm going to put them yet, if I'm going to put them on Twitter or start a YouTube channel or what, but um, they're going to be like supplements to the podcast. So just keep an eye out for those. I think the first one I'm going to do this week, and it will be uh, a, a video goalie gear corner of my own mask. So it's going to be... Similar to Ryan's interview, it's going to be electric, um, as you can yeah, certainly sounds, imagine. Sounds amazing. I, I'm, on the edge of my, I'm on the edge of my couch, my quarantine couch. Right now. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it'll be, a, I think it'll be a fun thing. I'm hoping that you guys will. Hopefully, enjoy you it. do interviews of goalies too. That would be yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But give some, you know, give some feedback on it. I'm, I'm very interested to just learn this new thing, and it seems like I have the time to do it now. So, um, anyway, that's my breaking news. That's goalie gear corner. We now move on to our weekly. One-timers. Our first weekly one-timer. Excellent Foley work, John. Uh, Bauer, the equipment maker, is transitioning its manufacturing. And this is, I think this is really cool. And it actually, uh, they're not the only ones doing it. um, But they have decided to start making face shields for uh, medical workers. And I'm sure you've seen pictures of these online. They're, They're, I mean, they're exactly what you'd imagine. They're a big plastic piece of, you know, whatever clear whatever that's made out of um but then at the top it's got the bauer logo and so apparently brian's and andy i know you're a big fan of brian's i love i love me some brian's goalie <laughs> equipment yeah they're also making uh like gowns and and masks and yeah, things so pretty cool to see just awesome that you know a, a hockey company can transition itself like that imagine my excitement i saw that tweet but then it was from the nhl nhl.com tweeted the story out and it just had their tag, which is goalies only. I didn't yeah. know what that was. Right. So I clicked on it, and then what comes up is Brian's. I'm like, oh, my God, it's Brian's. That's yeah. all I got all <laughs> Yeah. Big moment for you, Andy. You, you got to reach for excitement during these days. Of, of the <laughs> yeah. Slow, slow day on the internet, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but that, I think that's just so cool that they're, that they're doing that. Cool. And yeah, it was really taking cool. it one step further, Bauer actually uh, has shared their designs publicly so that other companies can do the same thing. Awesome. Cause, yeah, because they figured out how to do it. Uh, obviously, they're able to produce, uh, I don't know, I think they said like 100,000 or something like that yeah. in, in a couple weeks. I believe, so. I believe both those companies have also, while doing that, have shut down their production of other gear so they're just focusing on this right now yeah i don't think there's a ton of demand for hockey equipment right now exactly good on them our next weekly one-timer and this is also our final weekly one-timer trevor zegris has signed with the anaheim ducks so we've talked about zegris a bit he was drafted first round last year uh at the draft we were at um and part of the ndtp ntdp uh, NDTP and TDP uh, group national NDT- team development program. <laughs> no, it's national development team program. 
NDTP. Okay, we're going to Google this. Oh, boy. National Team Development Program. I'm right. NTDP? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, talk about talk about riveting podcasts. No, right now. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is the pinnacle. Yeah, this is going in our ten year anniversary highlight reel. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he was part of that NTTB group that got drafted uh, last year in the draft that we were at. Um, <laughs> carry on. We we know what you mean. Carry on. <laughs> but Zegris was the guy that I saw actually at, at Boston University uh, about a month ago. Uh, one of the games I checked out, and, and I was talking about him him looking pretty elite uh, compared to everybody else. And so uh, he also had this epic World Junior tournament. So we've talked about him quite a bit. But he, I don't know if he'll play with Anaheim next year, but he'll definitely be in their system, obviously, and probably play in the AHL and maybe get a couple games. But he's part of that that next U.S. group that's going to kind of make a wave in in the NHL in the coming years. All right, so that wraps up this week's weekly one timers. And it also wraps up episode 80 of Sound of Hockey. Thank you again to Ryan Hardy for that fantastic interview. Uh, Hope you all subscribe on Spotify, subscribe on Stitcher, subscribe on iTunes. Thank you, Skeptic Dan, for the great five-star review. We hope that you two listening at home will uh, leave us a five-star review and we'll read it for our next episode. Stay safe out there. Wash your hands. Stay distant. We'll talk to you very soon. Cheers. Somebody save your soul because you've been sinning in the city. I know too many troubles. All these lovers got you losing control. You like a drug to me, a luxury, my sugar and go. I want the good life every good night. You're a high one to hold. Because you don't even know. I can make your hands clap. 